If you have a Bible, you could pick that up. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 17. It'll come up on the screen as well, if not, and Liz is going to read for us. So that's Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. It's on page 1128 in the Church Bible. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayer at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thank you. Well, uh, do keep that open. I'm going to pray for us now as we come to look at that together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good news. Please would you help us to understand that news better, to revel in it, to enjoy it, to, to see how wonderful it is, to grow in our confidence in it, so that we might be better equipped and able to share it and spread it all around the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you think of the the last time that you were ashamed, like really properly embarrassed? Uh, Being the way that I am, you would think I would have plenty of recent examples of uh, of this for myself. The one that sprung to my mind was from a number of years ago when I was in year seven. Uh, I was walking home from the bus stop after school. And I used to walk through a park near my house. 
And being the strange person that I uh, was, I'll say was, um, I used to sing sometimes as I was walking along. Uh, I was by myself, so I was going through the park singing like a yeah, we're going through the park singing. I, I can't remember what I was singing. I, I think it possibly could have been something from the Sister Act 2 soundtrack. I don't know. Um, I, I got near the edge of the park and I stopped because I was getting near the edge and there might be somebody to hear me. Uh, and then I got to the bit where I would turn off right to head towards home. As I did that, somebody behind me turned off left and said, Nice singing, mate. Oh my goodness me, it was so, so, so embarrassing. That was probably the last time I did anything like that in public. That singing was not for public consumption. That was private, that was just for me. So I, I ran the rest of the way home uh, and thought about whether I could you know, start a new life in another country or something like that. Uh, I wonder if actually a lot of us think that same kind of way about the gospel. We think, well, yeah, no, that's good, it's fine, it's fine for us in private. The idea of being in any way public about it was utterly mortifying. Talking to people who don't already believe it, oh, well, that shows up all our insecurities, doesn't it? We don't feel good enough, we don't feel skilled enough, knowledgeable enough, godly enough, anything enough to be able to share that with others, even if we wanted to. And we're not sure we do want to. We're not sure we do want it to be something that other people know that we're into. It's a bit like Jesus is some kind of embarrassing uncle we'd rather not be associated with. We never say that, we never actually put it like that, but in reality, that's how it is. He's sort of somebody who is part of what we're part of, but, you know, if other people could just not know that, that would be great. But then the Apostle Paul comes in, and he couldn't be more different, could he? When we read verse 16, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. Whatever else might make Paul cringe, the good news of Jesus, that is not one of those things. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so I wanted on this uh, Global Mission Sunday for us to see why not. Why isn't he uh, ashamed? Why is he so unembarrassed about it? So that maybe uh, by the end of this, we would also be able to say more and more, I'm not ashamed of the gospel either. So the first thing about the gospel that makes Paul so unashamed of it is that the gospel is God's power to save. The gospel is God's power to save. So see that in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. The gospel, the good news, is God's power to save. And the rest of the book of Romans unpacks what the gospel is and how that works. But even here at the start, we're given a little glimpse, aren't we? Just the, the smallest glimpse of saying the gospel, meaning good news, is about salvation. When you are in trouble, salvation is good news, isn't it? And that's the sort of news we have as Christians. News about how people can be saved. Saved from the punishment our sins deserve. Now, if we've got news about that, about something that deals with our deepest, deepest, deepest need... Why would we be ashamed of that? Why would we be ashamed of news that is so good? It is God's power to save. And how it saves is explained here as well. It says in verse 17, uh, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So there's something about the good news that reveals God's righteousness. And that's how he saves people. 
We're going to have a, a, a quick history lesson. We've done PE, we've done geography, we're going to have history now today. Uh, over 500 years ago, these verses, that verse 16 and 17, these are the verses that kicked off the Reformation. These are the verses that began that movement of people reading the Bible for themselves and rediscovering the good news, calling the church to reform itself, to change itself in light of it. These are those verses which sparked that off. Martin Luther was a monk. He was racked with guilt for all the things he'd done wrong. And he read this verse and he could not understand how the righteousness of God could possibly be good news. He would say, the righteousness of God, well, surely that means how good God is, how holy God is, and the righteousness he requires of us, that standard we can't meet. And so he tried everything, and he could never reach it. He did everything he could. But every time he thought about the righteousness of God, he thought, that just condemns me as guilty. And there's a lot of people who feel like that. We know we do not match up. So it got to the point that Luther said later, I began to hate the righteousness of God. How can it be good news? But then he came to understand the righteousness of God wasn't something that just belonged to God or was demanded by God, but something that was made available from God. Righteousness given to people. Righteousness given to people who aren't righteous. That is a very different story, isn't it? To be able to say there's a perfect righteousness. Perfection being revealed, being made known, being made available to you. To me. And how do we get in on it? Do we do it by trying our best, by meeting God halfway? No, we're told in verse 17 again, it is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And that is great, isn't it? This idea of a righteousness that is not earned, but is given. That is received by faith, just by trusting in Jesus. That is really good news, isn't it? That instead of condemning us, the righteousness of God saves us. That is an amazing thing. And, and when Martin Luther realized that, he was absolutely transformed. He said this, I felt I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened. The whole of Scripture gained a new meaning. And from that point on, the phrase, the righteousness of God, no longer filled me with hatred, but rather became unspeakably sweet. It's great, isn't it? I mean, it is the difference between you get a letter in the post and you read it and, and, and it seems to say, you owe God one billion pounds. And then you read it again and say, oh no, God is giving me a billion pounds. That's quite a difference, isn't it? <laughs> and that is the gospel there, that spiritually we are bankrupt, we are in debt because of our sin, we owe God. But the good news is God paying that, giving it to us, everything he demands he provides so that he can look at us, people like us, sinners like us, and declare us righteous. Now that is news that changed the world and can change the world for us as well. I wonder if you realize that that is the message of Christianity, not here's all the things you have to do, but instead here is what God has done through Jesus for you. It is not bad news. It's not come to condemn you. It is good news to save you. It's not a righteousness you need to achieve. It's a righteousness you just need to receive. You just need to accept it by faith in the gospel. That is God's power 
to save people. But notice the gospel here in, in verse 16 isn't just where we hear about God's power to save. It says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is in the preaching of this gospel, in the speaking of it, that God saves people. They hear this good news of Jesus and boom, something happens in their heart, in their life. And boom might actually be quite a good word for it. The word for power here is the one where later we would get the English words dynamic and dynamite. It's boom, power. The gospel has power to save. So as Christians here today, do we believe that? That not just the gospel can save me, but that it is God's power to save. We, we tend to think, don't we, we need to have all the answers. We need to be a perfect witness. We need to have it all together. Our church services need a little bit more wow or a little bit more something. If, if non-Christians are ever going to come to God, we need some power. And this is telling us that we have that in the gospel itself. That is God's power to save. We don't need to dress it up. We need to unleash it. The pressure's off. We don't need to drum something up. Uh, we just speak the gospel, and that is God's power to save. Again, uh, that was Martin Luther's experience. When you look back on the impact of the Reformation, he said this, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank beer with my friends, I did nothing. The word did it all. Because it's God's power to save. And isn't that our experience as well? We've got nothing, have we? We've got nothing. We've got God and his gospel. We've got nothing else, and we don't need anything else because that is God's power to save people. And so Paul is utterly unashamed of it. Why would you be ashamed of this news that saves people amazingly? The second reason Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel is that the gospel can save anybody. The gospel can save absolutely anybody. Let me read verse 16 again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So if the gospel was about stuff we had to do, then certain people have an advantage, don't they? People who are uh, better brought up, people perhaps with a nicer temperament, people like that might have a, a bit of a head start, wouldn't they? People who haven't already messed everything up in their lives. But that isn't the gospel, is it? The gospel can save anybody who simply believes it. That means that it's a totally level playing field. Jews and Gentiles and people who are not Jewish have equal footing which is brilliant because in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to the Jewish people in particular. And so Paul says it's for them first of all. But again, isn't that interesting? Those people who seem to have a bit of a leg up need the gospel. It's not the gospel, it's, it's not for them because they don't need it. It's just for you Gentiles. Or even, no, it's only for them. No, they need it too. They don't get in because of their pedigree or their heritage or anything like that. They need the gospel and not just them, but everybody else. It is the same way for everybody. There's nothing we can do that makes us too good, so we don't need salvation. There is nothing we can do that makes us too bad to have salvation. We just need to believe in Jesus 
the gospel can save anybody, young, old, male or female, rich or poor, any nationality, regardless of your education level or family background or accent or your class or your criminal record or your job title or your political opinions, whether your whole life up until now you've been a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Sikh or an atheist or an agnostic, the gospel can save you. The gospel can save anyone. None of that needs to get in the way. The only thing that is now a barrier between sinners and God, in a sense, is whether we will believe it or not. Our sin has put that barrier up, cuts us off from God. The gospel is how that barrier is torn down, and so we are now called to just trust, to believe, to stop putting our trust in ourselves, in our own righteousness, our own being good enough, and put our faith instead in Jesus, who makes us righteous. I remember seeing something a while ago uh, online. It's a sort of a little business card that a, a church put together as sort of a way of inviting people to come to church. Uh, it says this, step one, I'm a complete idiot. Two, my future is incredibly bright. Three, anyone can get in on this. That is true, isn't it? That, that salvation is not because we are good. Instead, we, we admit that we've completely messed everything up ourselves. But instead, despite that, thanks to God, we can be saved in the end. And it's that wonderful thing of saying, genuinely, anybody can get in on this. The gospel can save anybody. And so I've got to say this, haven't I? That includes you, not just the person sitting next to you. Christianity is not for somebody else, it's for you. But come and receive it by faith in Jesus. That righteousness that perhaps you've been striving for, that righteousness, you know I can never do that. It can be yours as a gift. Free, gratis, for nothing. It's for you. But I also want to say, and this is where it's been heading on this Global Mission Sunday, the gospel isn't just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just for me, it is for other people as well. And that's our, our final point and the, the biggest one. Share the gospel with everybody. That's what we ought to do, isn't it? If those first two things are true, then that bottom one is true. If the gospel can't save people, it's too weak, we should probably just sit on it. We, we, we should probably throw it away, to be honest. It doesn't work. But if it's God's power to save, well, then let's share it. Let's say it. If the gospel is just for the few, then by all means, let's keep it to ourselves. But if it's for anybody, well, then we ought to tell everybody, shouldn't we? And that's the thrust of this passage. That's where it's going. At the start of this letter of Romans, Paul is introducing himself as someone with a job given by God. And we see in verse 5 what that job is to do. His job is to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So all the nations and every person in every nation, calling them to obey the Lord Jesus by putting their faith in him. That is the job. Get that good news out there and call everyone in the world to do that, sharing that gospel that saves people. Uh, I saw a poster uh, in a church recently up on their missionary notice board. 
The poster said this. I'm not going to put it on the screen. The poster said this. Mission is, and it'd be interesting how you finish that sentence. Mission is becoming friends with other people of different cultures and faiths. Mission is becoming friends with people of different cultures and faiths. And with all due respect, no, it's not. No, it's not. Mission is sharing the good news of Jesus. Should we be friends with people? Absolutely. But friends tell friends about Jesus. Becoming friends is part of it. But mission is sharing that good news. Because the good news, the gospel, that's what saves people, isn't it? It saves anybody. And so God wants that good news to go out to everybody from every country on the planet. So that everybody would be turning away from their rebellion, turning back to God. That they'd have faith in this gospel. That happening all over the world, among all the Gentiles, among all the nations, that is God's goal. That's what he's got in mind. And so it's worth asking, is is that what we've got in mind? Is that our plan as a church, as individuals? Is that what we're trying to do? Or are we happy to tell nobody? Or are we happy to just tell people in when? We're supposed to have an eye all the time on that ever-expanding global mission of God. And that happens as the good news is actually shared, as people speak it. That's what Paul wants to do. The book of Romans, I think, can sometimes get a a weird reputation as if it's a, a, um, a sort of theology textbook. It's a systematic theology and it goes through all these different bits like that. But that isn't really what it is. It's a missionary support letter. I mean, if you've got one of these every month in your email inbox, it'd probably be a bit too much to read. But it is a missionary support letter, isn't it? Have a, have a flick forward, if you've got your Bibles there, to chapter 15. Romans 15, right near the end of the letter. Romans 15 from verse 20. He says this, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. So that's his aim. That's his aim is to go to people who've never heard it before, who don't know it, to share the good news with everybody, everywhere, especially places where nobody knows Jesus yet. Is that what we want? For there might be for some people the right application of Global Mission Sunday is to go. That actually that might be something you want to consider. Actually, I want to go somewhere where people don't know Jesus. Maybe that is you. You should be exploring those opportunities short-term, long-term. Should I, how, might that be me? And if that is something you're wondering about, come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. But even if you've thought about it and you're absolutely sure, no, that isn't for me. I'm supposed to stay here. Well, this is for us as well. We all need to be involved in this, sharing the gospel where we are. With some people, it will be up the front. Most people, it will be quietly with a friend. Some will be giving a talk. Others will be giving a book or or, or trying to invite someone to something or different ways based on our different gifts or different situations. But we're all involved, not least by supporting those people who are going out to the nations. So uh, Romans 15 carries on with what Paul wants from his readers. Let me read from verse 23. 
He says, since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he's saying, I'm going to Spain. I'm not just going for a nice beach holiday. He's going there to take the gospel to Spain for the first time. No one in Spain had ever heard of Jesus. So he's going to go and sort that out. And he's going to be going via Rome on the way. And he's saying, I need help for that. I need somewhere to stay while I get ready. I need money. I need food. I need supplies so that I can be sent out to go and do that. He said, I hope you will assist me. And that's for all of us, that these people are right on the pioneer front line things. They need people who will support them, who will partner with them, give them finances, give them encouragement, and give them prayer as well. So take a look at verse 30 of there. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle. Oh, okay, are we all supposed to go with him? (laughs) No, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. It sounds like a prayer email, doesn't it? Coming up in the next few months, I'm going somewhere very dangerous. Please would you pray for my safety? Please would you pray the time there is really useful? Anyway, I will see you soon. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Love you lots, that kind of thing. That's what he's doing. It's a, it's a missionary support letter, really. And it's people like us who give and encourage and pray who are enabling those others to share the gospel with everybody. People like Pete and Stephen and Wangui and, and others as well. We can join them in their struggle by assisting them. Let's go back to, back to chapter 1. Uh, in Romans again because there's something else I want us to see in this this passage it's it's another reason for us to share the gospel so verse 14 says this I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome so he says he is in debt he's under an obligation he has a burden he is he he owes something to a lot of people to Greeks that is sophisticated city types to non-Greeks the word there's literally barbarians the roughest people in the furthest reaches he owes them something he owes something to foolish people he owes something to wise people he owes something to all sorts of people he owes them the gospel now there are two ways you can owe somebody something so um, I'm going to do this I have 20 pounds here I'm going to lend I'm going to lend that. Come on, Nicola. I'm going to lend you this. There you go. There you go. Now, who does Nicola owe that money to? Me. (laughs) I lent it to you. And uh, so now, while you have that in your possession, you owe me. You owe me. So come on, give it back. You owe me. There you go. Brilliant. But there's another way to owe someone as well. I could say, here you go. Here's this. This, you need to give it to them. Okay, you don't have to go right now. But you need to go and give it to them. This is for Rachel over there, okay? So who does Nicola owe that to now? Over there. Absolutely. That is not yours. Uh, That is hers. And that's the position of all of us, that God is going to give us the gospel free of charge 
It is a gift for us to enjoy. He's not asking for it back, unlike me. Oh, we can, we can, uh, but he's, he's giving us the gospel for us, yes. But as he hands it to us, he says, go and give this to them. This belongs to them. I'm giving this to you because you owe them. And so from that moment on, we owe people. We owe them the gospel. They haven't given it to us and we give it back. God has given it to us to give it to them. So the gospel isn't just ours to hang on to. That's not what it was given. If Nicola goes off and just spends that £20 on herself, that wasn't what I gave it to you for. The gospel is for everybody. So we give it to them, not begrudgingly. Oh, I suppose I've got to hand this over to you. Go on then. And so Paul says, no, I'm, now, I'm eager. It is my pleasure. I'm pleased to do it. And I'm not the least bit ashamed to do that. So who do we feel that burden for? Who do we know who doesn't know? How can we play our part in bringing that about, that, that obedience of faith, here where we are and among all the nations? We tell people the gospel. We bring people to hear someone else tell them the gospel. We support those who are doing that. The gospel is God's power to save. It can save anybody even that person you would never imagine. And so we share it with everybody. Why don't I pray for us that we would do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel, for that good news that it is, the good news of your righteousness given to us as a gift. Thank you that the gospel is your power to save and that it can save anybody. So we pray that each one of us here would have faith in that good news and be saved. And would you help us to play our part in sharing it with others? Help us to be part of that worldwide task of bringing all the nations to faith in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.